0: All right, let's take our Bibles and turn in them to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I want to focus our attention tonight on verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together once again. Thank you for uh, your word, the truth of it, the way in which it does do exactly what you say. It divides down to the thoughts and intentions of our heart, encourages us, it convicts us, it guides us, it shepherds us. Thank you that we can trust it, that we can know it, that we can know you through it that we can know our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, the greatest of all families, really, that will one day spend eternity together. And we can sing to you and we can be praising you and what a joy that is to our hearts. Lord, tonight as we look at your word, help to solidify our understanding, our belief, our faith, the trust that we have in you and cause us to be motivated to obedience because of it. Your name would be glorified in our life and glorified in those who see our life. All in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. All right. Good news. Good news. That's what the gospel is, right? good news. It's the good news that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. That's that's a very simple truth. It's a very uh, simple way to think about it, and yet it seems so often it's confused. Jesus Christ Himself is salvation. When we look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, we hear some very good news. God tells us through the Apostle Paul that anyone can share in the blessing that he has promised to Abraham. doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It doesn't matter if you're philanthropic or if you're completely rank and sinful in every way. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're a free person. Anyone can be a beneficiary of the promise God made to Abraham. And the only way to have that is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That is the main focus, the main drive, the, the point that the Apostle Paul is making as he sums it up in verse 9 when it says this, So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. There is no better news in all of the world than that. No better news than to be blessed with Abraham, the believer, we may not fully grasp the full significance of our tie to Abraham by way of God's promise to him, As especially as Gentiles and Gentile Americans, but the Gentile Galatians and those who had come down from Jerusalem to see these Gentile believers certainly would have understood who Abraham was and all that God had said to Abraham. And that's the reason that the apostle Paul uses it to illustrate his point that salvation is always by faith alone. You remember that Paul is combating the idea and the false teaching that says that salvation is Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus, Plus, here in Galatians, plus circumcision. You can believe in Jesus, but you're not fully saved unless you're circumcised, unless you follow the law of Moses. And the Judaizers had come down from Jerusalem saying that they had come from James, James being the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the new believers there, and they said that the Galatians, for them to have salvation, that they could have faith, you could believe in Jesus Christ, but you needed to keep the law. There needed to be some external physical activity taking place in order to be truly saved, and as we have seen already, astonishingly, the Apostle Peter and other Jews were hypocritically following that idea. Their hypocrisy was actually undermining the true gospel of faith alone, and sadly, as it does with any false gospel, it was leading others down a road of no salvation at all. So, in defense of the true gospel, Paul proceeds to bring up the life of Abraham in chapters 3 and 4. He continually refers back to Abraham all the way in chapter 3 and through chapter 4. Why? Because the Judaizers were, no doubt, basing their false gospel on the notion that all the children of Abraham belonged to God. In other words, if you had a heritage by which you were a Jew by nature, by very heritage of your life, then you belonged to God. That it didn't matter, really, it wasn't, had nothing to do with faith alone, but, all, but the fact that you were one of Abraham's children and you followed the law of Moses. And so not only did they not understand the gospel, but they didn't understand the Old Testament, which is really surprising when you think about it being Jews and hearing the Old Testament continuously. And so the Apostle Paul, in order to refute their claim, he goes back to the life of Abraham and to the Scriptures to prove that what they are saying and what they believe is actually wrong. We noticed in verses 1 to 5 he made his argument based upon the experience of the believers. He said, "Listen, you Galatian believers, you cannot be bewitched by this. You are already being as if you're spellbound in this. You know Jesus Christ and you know your own personal experience. How can you believe that the that you are truly saved if you believe the law when you Receive the Holy Spirit by faith alone. How can you believe that works are involved in your salvation? And then now here in verse 6, Paul argues for justification by faith alone on the basis of what Abraham did and what the Scriptures declare. Notice verse 6, what he says, "...even so Abraham..." Speaking again to these Galatian believers who have been bewitched by this foolishness that has been brought down by the Judaizers, he says, listen, you know by way of experience you received the Holy Spirit by faith. And even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So the Apostle Paul goes back to the quintessential argument for every Jew. He's arguing against the argument the Judaizers are making to the Gentile believers, and he's saying, listen, not even Abraham gained his faith or gained his salvation the way they're saying. Every Jew would go back to Abraham to argue their point. They would particularly go back to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 is where the covenant is between God and Abraham, and it was signified by circumcision. And so that's where they would go. You see, circumcision was a must. God made a a covenant with Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 17, God signified that by circumcision. Well, in one sense, they were right. They certainly were right, at least for circumcision national Israel, for the Jew, by way of his national heritage, they were right. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But it was never to be used as a sign for salvation. Circumcision was never given by God as a sign for actual salvation. For that, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 15 and the promise Made to Abraham. Now, before Genesis chapter 15, of course, leading up to that very pivotal place in Scripture, <clears throat> God made several promises to Abraham. In fact, the promises begin back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God says to Abram, Now <clears throat> the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you, here's the promise, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So right there in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abram, and He promises that He will give him a land, and that He would bless him, and that through him, all the families of the earth would in fact be blessed. So there's this universal and unilateral promise of God made to Abraham about the blessing going to all people. It is unconditional. It is unilateral in that it is a promise from God, and nothing is stated within the promise that God makes that Abraham must do something in in order to receive the promise. Through you, all the people would be blessed. What happens? Well, Abram believes God. He believes what God said, and he leaves his country for a new land that God would show him. He knew not where he was going, and the book of Hebrews records for us that it was by faith that he left. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise and as, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a, for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So we can see that it was by faith that Abraham followed God's promise. And then, years later, God comes to Abraham again with another promise. Well, what's that promise? Well, the promise was that he would have a son, that he would have an heir even in his old age, that God still had not given him the land as of yet, That promise was still yet to be fulfilled. And now God was also promising to give him an heir through whom the whole world would be blessed. Well, Abraham was an old man. God takes him outside and he says to him in Genesis chapter 15, look up to the sky. Look up to the sky, Abraham. This is the promise I'm going to give you. And to your offspring, he says, look at the stars of heaven, Genesis chapter 15, verse five, number the stars. If you're able, so shall your offspring be. Well, for Abraham, this is all seemingly impossible. Abraham's an old man. He hasn't had an heir yet, especially being so old. he, He can't believe it. But the Bible says in the following verse of Genesis chapter 15, that Abraham believed God that God would bring it about. In other words, Abraham took God at his word. God had said it. Abraham believed it. Just like every other promise, he took God's word by faith. Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, those are the very words that the Apostle Paul speaks here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So what is the Apostle Paul doing? What is he emphasizing and bringing up the Old Testament promise that God had made and the exercise in which Abraham had done? He is emphasizing the reality of faith in God's promise. Faith in God's promise. Notice Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, that it was his faith that was reckoned to him as righteousness. You notice that? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What is the it? referring to in that entire sentence? Well, the it, the antecedent, or the word that is equal to or pointing to, the it is pointing to, is believed, his faith. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was faith that was reckoned to him as righteousness. So when Abraham believed God, God reckoned, God credited that he was righteous. In other words, God accounted him as righteous. God imputed to him righteousness based upon God-given faith alone. That does not mean at the moment that Abraham believed God that somehow he was in his own person personally perfect in every way and action. We know that. Because Genesis chapter twenty two comes along and prior to that he tries to have a, a son of his own through the man through his maidservant. He tries to fulfill this promise by his own human efforts and it doesn't work. <clears throat> so he wasn't personally perfect when he believed. And actually he was not even righteous in every activity. No. What God means when God says that of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 is that he was declared righteous before God. He was considered by God to be in right standing with God through faith alone. Nothing else. Well, When you think about this doctrine of justification by faith, there is no greater place in which Satan himself has stirred up confusion within the evangelical church. And in the minds of those who are bewitched or victimized, if you will, then in this area of the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of salvation, which includes the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is the front lines of the enemies attack upon the church. This is where Satan attacks the most. If Satan can succeed in confusing this doctrine in the minds of those who are even part of a church, let alone Christians, then he has succeeded in keeping men deceptively in their sins and under, in many ways, the divine condemnation and judgment of God. It's interesting to think about on Judgment Day, every person in one of the false religions around the world will find that their supposed salvation is based upon some type of work that does not save at all. Every person in a heretical church Every person who is confused concerning the doctrine of salvation by faith alone will find that his or her supposed salvation is based upon some kind of human effort. This is what Paul is so concerned about. This is why he uses the words he uses. This is why he seems to be so harsh in chapter 3, verse 1, saying, you foolish Galatians. Paul knows that any teaching that holds any form of salvation... By any other means than faith alone in the imputed righteousness of Christ alone, anybody who believes that is under a deception and a lie and under the father of lies, Satan himself. So this is what undergirds the entire argument of the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 and 4. Justification by faith alone and not justification by works. It's been that way all along even before God gave His divine law. Galatians chapter 3, as Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 15, he is saying, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteous. That happened some 400 years before Moses was ever given the law of God. So it was well before there was any divine law given through Moses. Moses. And I want to elaborate on this a bit more, and so I want us to to go back to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Because I think we need to elaborate on this just a bit more so it's clear in our minds. Romans chapter 4. Because the Apostle Paul, once again, unfolds for us this truth as he's writing to these these converts and these would-be converts in Rome. And then after we look at this, we'll go back to Genesis chapter 3 and just see how clearly this truth unfolds there, just from a reading of it. The Spirit says to us in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Because what does the Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Now, the Apostle Paul has come to the conclusion through chapter 3 that all men are guilty. All men are guilty. Everybody, every person, including the religious, including the moral person, including the upstanding citizen of the community. And here, that would be the Jews. They would have thought themselves that way. The Apostle Paul is saying that the only way to be justified before God is by faith alone. If everyone, if anyone thinks that that kind of thinking is flawed in any way, then let's take a look at the Old Testament. That's what Paul is saying. You, you think that you're safe in and of yourself, that you can go about in the world just carrying on as you do and think that by your activity you will be right with God, it's not going to be like that. And if you believe that, he says, well, let's take a look at the Old Testament. Let's take a look at the two most respected men in all of Jewish and biblical history. Let's look at how Abraham and how David were declared justified before God. Now, we're only going to look at Abraham. You notice in verse 6, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from work. So he's using both Abraham and David. We're only going to look at Abraham, but we need to understand that the line of argumentation that Paul is using would have been a death blow to any kind of Jewish thinking by way of works, salvation. Paul puts before every Jew, and we could say every moralist today, or even the Galatians who were there hearing this false gospel of works, the two historical people that the Jews held in highest esteem were those two people, Abraham and David. Those were the two. the the patriarch of Israel, and the best-known king of Israel, the greatest king. If those two were considered righteous, and most would have said they were, every true Jew would have considered them as righteous. Then how was it that they were given that distinction before God? That's the question Paul is asking. Let's look at them. Let's look and see how they were declared righteous. Did they arrive there by their efforts? Or by faith. According to the Jewish rabbis in Paul's day, Abraham was justified not by faith in God, but by his faithfulness to God. We even see that in some theologians today, some years ago, maybe you've even heard about the the new perspective on Paul. Some authors wrote several books about it, As if Paul was not preaching in Galatians and other epistles in the New Testament, including Romans, that justification was by faith alone. But Paul was preaching, actually, that justification was by faithfulness to God, not by faith in God. Just like the Jewish rabbis of Paul's day, they're saying that's what Paul taught. In fact, Habakkuk 2.4 in the Old Testament says, "...the just shall live by faith." And it was oftentimes interpreted and taught by the rabbis to say, the just shall live by his faithfulness. So rather than salvation coming through faith in God alone, it was taught that salvation came through one's efforts at faithful living. As long as you can strive to be faithful to God you'll be okay with God. God will consider you righteous. And the way it is said today is as long as you're a good person. I mean, we hear that all the time. I'm a good person. Certainly God wouldn't judge me. I'm a good person. Meaning I'm morally better than some who are behind me or under me. I've been better than most. That's what the rabbis taught. So in the Jewish mind, it was faithfulness that brought justification before God, and thereby, because you were justified, you would have eternal life. And so Paul uses Abraham and David as the supreme human examples for these Jewish readers. That even though they were declared righteous before God, it was not by works, it was by faith alone. So let's just look at this together in Romans chapter 4. It's very fascinating. Paul says, first of all, justification is not by works. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh has found. What, What has Abraham found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. So Paul begins by asking a simple question. In Abraham's life, as Abraham lived, what has he found, what has been found to be true about Abraham in the flesh? In other words, since we all agree that Abraham is the best example of the Jewish man being justified before God, being the father of the Jewish nation, then let's look at his life to see on what his justification is based. So Paul's argument goes right to the heart. Paul is a Jew. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he said to the Philippian believers, and every Jew identified with Abraham. That was their national identity. Those who had come from Jerusalem in the Galatian churches would have held their identification to Abraham. This is why Paul brings it up in Galatians chapter 3. If Abraham, being the father of the nation, however he gained righteousness must be the way. That's the right way. That is the way all others need to follow. And so Paul asked the question, what has Abraham found to be true? What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Now there's some debate there on that phrase, according to the flesh, There's debate as to what that actually is saying. And I don't want to go into all the detail about all the different nuances that people come up with, but suffice it to say that I believe that when Paul says, according to flesh, he not only means Abraham as the physical father of the nation, in other words, what has Abraham found being the father of this nation? But really, more so, he's talking about what has Abraham found to be true concerning the works according to his own humanness before God. What has been found to be true about Abraham as he lived his life before God? Has Abraham found that his works earned salvation? That was the reasoning on which the Jews based their lives. What Abraham did, then we also must do. And so this is the reason for Paul's statement in verse 2. Right? What what did Abraham find according to his life as he lived it out on this earth? Because, verse 2, if Abraham was justified by doing, by efforts, by works, then he has something to boast about. If Abraham earned his salvation by his efforts, then certainly he has something to boast about. The Jews believe that Abraham was justified by his efforts. No doubt there was plenty of good efforts that they could bring to the table about Abraham's life. We've already heard of some of them, right? In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was called by God to leave his own country and his relatives, his father's house, go to a land that wouldn't show him. And what did he do? He left. He went. Abraham went forth from the Lord as he spoke to him. He, He left Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. He left his home. He left his home, which was a certain place, to go somewhere that was visually uncertain. It wasn't uncertain in the mind of God, but, Israel, but Abraham certainly didn't have a visual certainty to it. So God called Abraham, and by entrusting his life to what God s- said, Abraham went. Abraham believed God he didn't have a perfect or complete understanding of it but he believed and over time his faith grew the same way our faith grows this side of heaven it's exercise god uses things to strengthen us right god gives abraham the promise of a son and then when that son is born he says sacrifice your son i knew i was i was testing you God says to Abraham. And so God tests Abraham after that miracle birth. The one through whom God would bring the promise, the blessing to all of the world, his descendants, God commands Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him in Genesis 22. And again, Abraham just trusts God. He he doesn't know. He even says to Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, God will provide a lamb. As Isaac is asking him, where's the lamb? As as Abraham is tying him to the altar, as Abraham is raising the knife to sacrifice his son before God says, stop. And there is a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham was believing God, exercising his faith. Abraham trusts God and obeys. Why? Because he believed God. He believed God. The Jews wrongly assumed and would have pointed to any of those good deeds that Abraham did, the walking in obedience, saying that because of Abraham's faithfulness to obey, that he was therefore justified by his obedience. And if that were true, if that it was true that God justified Abraham because of his faithful efforts, then Abraham would certainly have something to boast about. This is what Paul says. What has Abraham found? Because if Abraham is justified by his works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. Right? Justification by effort is not the truth. It's not the truth. Then any boasting about efforts only carries weight with men. If we want to boast about what we do in order to be right with God, all we're boasting about is with hot air before men because it does nothing before God. It holds no weight with God. It holds no veracity with God, only faith. Abraham found nothing in himself to boast about before God. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? I mean, how do you know? right? That's the question that Paul anticipates. Paul anticipates someone rising up, some Jew rising up in front of him and saying, wait a minute, Paul, you're a Jew. How do you know that Abraham was justified, not by his faithfulness, but by faith? How do you know that? It's like the age-old question and the answer often given when someone disagrees with the truth, right? Here's what they say. Well, that's your opinion, people say, when they disagree with something you say that's true, well, that's your opinion. We see that going all over the place today with all kinds of things. Denying the truth based upon, well, that's your opinion. The Apostle Paul's answer is an example to all of us. How to answer those objections concerning justification by faith alone, the answer is to appeal to the highest authority. What's the highest authority? Paul says, well... What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? I mean, what was his life like? Did he did he earn it that way? Because if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Why? Because what does the Scriptures say? In other words, the Scriptures would reflect the fact that Abraham was justified by his faithfulness if it's true because there is no higher authority God would say that. What does the Scripture say? Verse 3 of Romans chapter 4, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So Paul's appeal is to the Word of God. Paul's appeal here in Romans chapter 4 is the same appeal Paul's making in Genesis in Galatians chapter 3. He's appealing to the very same passage. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. In that verse, before any kind of obedient effort on Abraham's part takes place, before Abraham does anything to, by way of obedience to God, we hear the central theme of salvation. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Now, those are moving and meaningful words. Because it is, it is in Genesis chapter 15 where we hear those words spoken for the first time. God had made many promises to Abraham from Genesis chapter 12 up to that point. And yet even when Abraham obeyed God, God never declared in those moments Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Nowhere in any passage before, before Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, nowhere is it ever said in all of those previous passages about Amor, is it recorded for us that righteousness was reckoned to Abraham. Nowhere. In other words, in spite of all that Abraham did, in spite of all that he was Exercising, it wasn't until this point that God said Abraham believed in the Lord and he, that is God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. In other words, his response to the seemingly impossible promise of God concerning his descendants and the birth of an heir which ultimately would point to Jesus Christ because he's the ultimate heir, was just the wooing of God, the wooing of God and the emphatic work of faith that God had brought about in Abraham's life. It was all the work of God before that. That's why Abraham was doing what God said. It was God wooing him to himself. And the word of God was its foundation. When God spoke, Abraham moved. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, in verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him. By the way, that word reckoned is used 11 times in Romans chapter 4. 11 times. It's an accounting term. It's an accounting term. Always means something is put into an account, imputed. God accounted his gift of faith as righteousness and thereby counted Abraham as righteous because of that faith and not because of faithful effort. I don't think it could be any clearer. So the Apostle Paul destroys the wrongful use of Abraham as an example of work salvation. By opening up the Jewish scriptures, he goes back to Genesis chapter 15 and the very text that the Jews held so sacred. Abraham was reckoned declared righteous because of faith and not faithful works. And so, what was true of Abraham is true of every believer in regards to a believer's faith. That's why Paul puts here in verses 4 and 5 these words. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned. It's not imputed as a favor, but as what is due. If you do something, you get the wage for doing it. That's the point. If you work, you get the wage. It's not something imputed to you, added to you by, by someone, it's a gracious act of someone else. It is It is earned by you. It is what is due you. But, verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. You see that? his faith is reckoned as righteousness so what saves is the power of god's redemptive grace alone through the agency of faith alone let me say that again what saves is god is the power of god's redemptive grace alone through the agency of faith alone. That's what saves. Based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all that that entails when it comes to Jesus Christ. And saving faith, regardless of what some may try to say, is not, faith is not a type of work of man produced by us. It is, as Ephesians 2 says, a gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith, and that is a gift of God. God justifies the ungodly, and his faith is reckoned as righteousness. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Notice verse 21 of chapter 3 of Romans. The Apostle Paul says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Of course, in verse 20 of that same chapter, he says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The only thing the law does is reveal sin, that we cannot justify ourselves. This was the problem with the lawyer in Luke chapter 10, who came to Jesus Christ wanting to justify himself. And he stands up and he says, what must I do to justify myself. And Jesus says, what does the law say? In other words, if you want to justify yourself, then then how are you doing it? keeping the law? He drives him right back to the very reality that the law only uncovers sin. And the lawyer says, well, he says, it says to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And and he, he says, all of that I've done from my youth. And he says, well, what's the second part? Love the neighbor as yourself. He says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the good Samaritan. At the end of that parable, the man walks away distraught because he wasn't about to sell all he had and go and take care of a Samaritan. Any other person, he hated the Samaritan. God says here in Romans chapter 5 that it's him who justifies the ungodly. Those who realize that their laws, their faith is reckoned as righteousness. Now, go back to Galatians chapter 3. Because this is the very truth that the Apostle Paul is making here. And I, I think we can just simply read these verses and have a full understanding of what the Apostle Paul is saying. You bewitched Galatians. You know Jesus Christ by faith. You received the Holy Spirit from hearing with faith. You've carried out in life by means of the Holy Spirit. It's You've been walking by faith. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteous. In other words, even so, Abraham believed with faith. That's how he became righteous. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In other words, these Judaizers are telling you that that you have to keep the law, that it's their heritage, and it's the keeping of the law of Moses, and that's what Abraham did. I'm going to tell you this. Abraham believed he was reckoned righteous by faith alone, and be sure of this, all people who are of faith alone are the children of Abraham, and not those who do not believe it, regardless of who they are, Jew or Gentile. And you want proof of that? The Scripture, verse 8, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What was the gospel? All the nations shall be blessed in you. Well, we would say that doesn't sound much like the gospel. That doesn't sound much like believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But God was saying, Abraham, do you believe me? This is what I'm telling you. All the nations will be blessed in you. Of course, pointing to Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Because that's what God was preaching. That's what the scriptures were preaching to Abraham. Did Abraham have the scriptures? Abraham didn't even have the scriptures. And yet here is the Apostle Paul saying that the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Who was preaching to Abraham? Who told Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed in you? It was God. The Apostle Paul simply is equating the words of God with the scriptures. This is the word of God. That now we have it written down. Now we have it. We can see it. We can read it in Genesis. That's exactly what the Scripture said to Abraham. And it preached to him because Abraham needed to know and Abraham needed to believe in what God said. He needed to believe in the promise to come that in him and through him all nations would be blessed by the one to come. So Paul says, so then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Not the one who worked, simply the believer. The believer. You see, the Apostle Paul couldn't have made a stronger point. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. In other words, the Old Testament had the foresight because it was the Word of God to predict the coming of Jesus Christ who would seek and to save the lost. The scriptures predicted and prophesied exactly how Christ would save. Why? Because it's God's word. He would justify sinners by faith alone the same way Abraham was justified. Salvation is always by faith alone. So it always is. It's never been by faithfulness. It's never been by any kind of effort. It's always been by faith alone. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, you foolish Galatians, you need to get your mind right on this whole doctrine of justification. It is not in any way, at any level, even in the smallest of way, does it have anything to do with you and your efforts. It is all of God. God grants you the faith by his grace. You exercise that faith and God saves you and reckons you righteous by faith, faith that he gives you. all of God, none of us, how foolish to think that we have anything to do with it. Paul's going to go into a little further about this, beginning in verse 10, talking about the law and what the law actually does and how absurd it is to think that you can be justified by keeping the law. But he wants the Galatians to know Abraham is proof of one thing. He's proof that he was a believer. He was a believer. Not by works, but by faith. And all who believe like Abraham are blessed with Abraham. We'll get more next time. Let's pray. Lord sometimes we we hear these things and we we may not even realize we've been confused about them that subtly in small ways we've we've challenged the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith we've edited in small points we've thought that we can earn it somehow in some way And sadly, at times, we even take the growth in our Christian life, our sanctification, the process of sanctification, and we we edit that and we turn it into justification, thinking that if, if we obey and when we obey, you must love us more than you have ever loved us. And in doing that, we adjust the gospel. We basically are saying that Jesus Christ is not sufficient. It must be added to by my effort. Lord, forgive us for thinking in that way. Forgive us for ever thinking that you are not sufficient to save us. Forgive us for not understanding and knowing that it's by faith that we are reckoned righteous before you. That has nothing to do with us. It has all been a gift of your grace and mercy that you have made us alive, caused us to believe. We are trophies of your grace. Thank you for Paul's argumentation. Thank you that he was so diligent and so fervent about these sweet believers that he didn't want them to be led astray. Lord, we want to do the same. We want to have the same argumentation out of love, out of concern, scrutinizing even the minor points to make sure we understand it rightly can be so dangerous to not. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for how it guides us and molds us. Thank you for your Old Testament, the New Testament, the Spirit that guides us to understand these things. Lord, use these things in our life. Bless us because of it. Bless your name through it. Cause others to know Jesus Christ because of it. And let not one person in this room tonight walk out of here without this understanding of Jesus Christ, that they might know life and know it abundantly. Well, thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.